before we jump in, I want to tell you about iTrust Capital, which is the number one crypto IRA 401k platform in America. It allows you to self-trade cryptocurrency and physical gold and silver in your retirement account. They have over 1,300 overwhelmingly positive reviews on Trustpilot. And if you visit itrustcapital.com, you can get a free insider's report on Bitcoin and crypto IRAs. So head on over and use promo code FREEMAN, all one word, to get your first month for free. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Freeman Beyond the Wall podcast. This is your host, Pete Quinones. Aaron from Timeline Earth is back. And this time, oh, this is some fun. We did a live stream where we just started reading the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski's Manifesto, Industrial Society and Its Future. And we had some people in the chat who had never heard this before, and they were completely freaking out. And if you have not read this before and you do not know how this starts out, you're going to be shocked. I think everyone's going to like this a lot. And uh, we're going to make this a series. We're going to, Aaron and I are going to try and get through the whole thing because we think that um, Ted wrote this in the late 80s to the mid 90s, and we think he's a prophet. He predicted a lot of what was going to happen, um, a lot of what is happening, and it's hard to not take him seriously. So without any further delay, here is Aaron from Timeline Earth. And we're live. What's going on, Aaron? Same old shit, man. How you been? Good, man. You want to um, dig into Uncle Ted here and see what he has to say? Read me a bedtime story. Oh man, this is uh, this is better than a bedtime story because uh, he's uh, I mean he's just a beast, you know. I mean because I think anyone, I think a lot of people are gonna learn some stuff tonight. That's for sure because if they haven't read him before, I'm not really sure exactly what they'd be expecting. So um, let's just do it. All right, I'm I'll start reading. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Introduction. The industrial, the industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. All right, we could let stop. me stop you right there. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, yes, yes. So far, so good. I'm, uh, I'm 100% on board without even having to go any further. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's so funny how when, when people read that, like, out of context... They think, um, oh, well, we have air conditioning and we have all this. And that's not what he's talking about. So, yeah, um, yeah. let's keep at going. At what cost? Yeah, it, it really, at what cost? Uh, they have greatly increased the life expectancy of those of us who live in advanced countries, but they have destabilized society, have made life unfulfilling, have subjected human beings to indignities, have led to widespread psychological suffering in the third world to physical suffering as well, and have inflicted severe damage on the natural world. The continued development of technology will worsen the situation. It will certainly subject human beings to greater indignities and inflict greater damage on the natural world. It will probably lead to greater social disruption and psychological suffering, and it may lead to increased physical suffering, even in advanced countries. Well, all right, so this was published in 1995, correct? Correct. All right, so uh, I think it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to say 
that just these first two sections he's called it yeah with um with more detail and more insight than i think any of his contemporaries could say just in those two sections alone yeah, i'm the it doesn't matter who who it is it could be mainstream um academia it could be libertarians could be the the elite of the libertarians um yeah he's he's going beyond he he's working in the metaphysical he's working in the physical and in the non-physical so that's that's the great thing about reading ted so because when when he talks about physical suffering if you look around at like the average health situation of a lot of people around our age younger a little older um what is what is obesity what is anorexia what is you know vitamin d deficiency but physical suffering yeah yeah there was and, when i was doing um research on china for the tim pool show i found out that china has per capita higher uh, diabetes rate than we do and they don't they don't have an obesity problem there they have a malnutrition problem there oh yeah yep yeah so let me read a little more here the industrial technological system may survive or it may break down. If it survives, it may eventually achieve a low level of physical and psychological suffering, but only after passing through a long and very painful period of adjustment and only at the cost of permanently reducing human beings and many other living organisms to engineered products and mere cogs in the social machine. Furthermore, if the system survives, the consequences will be inevitable. There is no way of reforming or modifying the system so as to prevent it from depriving people of dignity and autonomy. Now, which which situation do you think we're entering into? Um, it's a tough one. <laughs> well, the problem is, is right now it would appear that it's manufactured. A lot of Absolutely. people would point to it being manufactured. I think he is saying that it's the inevitability, but I don't discount the fact that he's sitting there in Florence right now and going, yeah, of course I knew they were going to manufacture it. That was always a possibility. But the only yeah. reason they could manufacture it is because by default, all these things are true. Yeah. Yep. Let's move on again. Okay. If the system breaks down, the consequences will still be very painful. But the bigger the system grows, the more disastrous the results of its breakdown will be. So if it is to break down, it had best break down sooner th rather than later. And that probably points towards um, his actions. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you look at his list of targets, it it sort of makes sense. One might ask, like, you know, why not? Why not send it to like the CEO's house, or you know, uh, I don't know. I'm sure he. I'm sure he thought it through <laughs> a lot better than I can do. Yeah, and um, I wish I could talk to him. Damn. All right. <laughs> we therefore advocate a revolution against the industrial system. This revolution may or might may or may not make use of violence. It may be sudden or it may be a relatively gradual process spanning a few decades. We can't predict any of that. 
but we do outline in a very general way the measures that those who hate the industrial system should take in order to prepare the way for revolution against that form of society. This is not to be a political revolution. Its objects will be to overthrow not governments, but the economic and technological basis of the present society. I mean, can you discount the fact that the people who are orchestrating everything that's happening right now read this or this is just part of who they are and that that's the direction that they want to take? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I connect with his idea that it's not a political revolution because we are in a total political environment right now. Everything is political. Um, I don't know if he took that as a eventuality or not, but um, it's, it seems like anything, I think if he were alive and free today and still, you know, mail, still mailing packages, uh, he might, he might have something to say about uh, it not being political. Cause at this point it's like, you know, anything you can latch yourself onto just to drive people to, of course, civic action. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if he'd be anti, anti-politics. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, think about this. When I was reading that last section, I was thinking about like the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal. I mean, I was listening. Tom had like the founder of Greenpeace on and the founder of Greenpeace is like, OK, if they do the Green New Deal, I mean, tens of millions are going to die. And um, it almost is like they want to strip it down, strip us down, back down into some kind of primitivism, but still with cities. I'm, it, I don't know that they want to do that on purpose. I don't know that they read this or anything like this, but, um, you know, I, it, it's kind of, it's kind of hard when you, when you read what he was writing and then you see what, um, you know, what they're doing now to try to find correlations. Yeah. It's, it's not hard to find correlations. <laughs> Just yeah. in the in the first couple paragraphs. <laughs> all right. Well, we got next one is um, all right. In this article, we give attention to only some of the negative developments that have grown out of the industrial technological system. Other such developments we mention only briefly or ignore altogether. This does not mean that we regard these other developments as unimportant. For practical reasons, we have to confine our, confine our discussion to areas that have received insufficient public attention or in which we have something new to say. For example, since there are well-developed environmental and wilderness movements, we have written very little about environmental degradation or the destruction of wild nature, even though we consider that these to be highly important. Okay, so we can move on. Yeah. And... In your opinion, why does he jump in and just go after the left right after right after the introduction? Um, I think because especially at that time and to a certain extent now, um, the environmental movement was a predominantly left wing movement. Um, you know, you're he, he's a, he's a product of the of the sixties. Um, you know, he, he probably saw how 
the environmentalist movement began in earnest and had a lot of, um, you know, heartfelt, true dedication to saving the planet and, uh, and then became commoditized and commercialized and, you know, I, uh, torn into its ideological components. And, uh, you know, I think that's why he calls it industrialism and not capitalism, not communism, because industrial industrialism works for both left and right. Yep. We have a super chat here. I'm going to put it up on the screen so that you can answer the question there. Um, you see the question? I'm actually in Ace's basement right now. Can, can't you see the cheap wood paneling? That's what I figured. That's what I figured. And, and there's some really odd stains there that I don't want to know what they are. Well, so, yeah. All no right. amount of detergent. <laughs> the psychology of modern leftism. Almost everyone will agree that we live in a deeply troubled society. One of the most widespread manifestations of the craziness of our world is leftism. So a discussion of the psychology of leftism can serve as an introduction to the discussion of the problems of modern society in general. Do you feel like you could have written that last week <laughs> or, or this morning? Timeless. <laughs> <laughs> Timeless. But what is leftism? During the first half of the 20th century, leftism could have been practically identified with socialism. Today, the movement is fragmented and is not clear who can properly be called the leftist. When we speak of leftists in this article, we have in mind mainly socialists, collectivists, politically correct types, feminists, gay and disability activists, animal rights activists, and the like. I mean, he's our, talk about going right to the woke, you know, like the woke progressive movement of the modern day. <laughs> yeah, the commercialized, commoditized yeah. version of leftism that, you know, started, started coming to the forefront in the 90s, late 80s, 90s. So he lists out this and then he goes, but not everyone who is associated with one of these movements is a leftist. What we are trying to get at in discussing leftism is not so much movement or an ideology as a psychological type or rather a collection of related types. Thus, what we mean by leftism will emerge more clearly in the course of our discussion of leftist psychology. Oh, this is such good stuff. Even so, our conception of leftism will remain a good deal less clear than we would wish, but there doesn't seem to be any remedy for this. All we are trying to do here is indicate in a rough and approximate way the two psychological tendencies that we believe are the dri main driving force of modern leftism. We by no means claim to be telling the whole truth about the leftist psychology. Also, our discussion is meant to apply to modern leftism only. We leave open the question... We leave open the question of the extent to which our discussion could be applied to leftists of the 19th and 20th, early 20th century. The two psychological tendencies that underlie modern leftism we call feelings of inferiority and over-socialization. Feelings of inferiority are characteristic of modern leftism as a whole, while over-socialization is characteristic only of a certain segment of modern leftism, but this segment is highly influential. So we start get start getting into this. Um, this is this is where the fun starts. This is where you you were like, how did he see this? Yeah, it's like that MK Ultra man must have opened opened that third eye something fierce. So yeah. By feelings of inferiority, we mean not only inferiority feelings in the strict sense, but a whole spectrum of related traits. 
low self-esteem, feelings of powerlessness, depressive tendencies, defeatism, guilt, self-hatred. We argue that modern leftists tend to have some such feelings, possibly more or less repressed, and that these feelings are decisive in determining the direction of modern leftism. Uh, what do you think about that? Low self-esteem, feelings of powerlessness, depressive tendencies, defeatism, guilt, self-hatred in that whole realm. Yeah, I mean, as cliche as it is, I, I think um, at its core, if you were to strip away the veneer of um, empowerment and egalitarianism, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think at if, if you were to if you were to get a hardcore leftist alone in a room, and actually sit them down and have a have like a psychology session with them. Yeah, you'd probably arrive at at those characteristics. Mm. Moving on, where we go here? Ba, 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 ba. Da, da, da. Okay, when someone interprets as derogatory almost anything that is said about him or about groups with whom he identifies, we conclude that he has inferiority feelings or low self esteem. This tendency is pronounced among minority rights activists whether or not they belong to the minority groups whose rights they defend. Huh. <laughs> what did he write this? Why, why, she get, why, why is he going to do Rachel DeLazel like that? <laughs> this is so, it's so amazing. They are hypersensitive about the words used to designate minorities and about anything that is said concerning minorities. The terms Negro, Oriental, Handicapped, or Chick for an African, an Asian, a disabled person, or a woman originally had no derogatory connotation. Broad and chick were merely the feminine equivalents of guy, dude, or fellow. The negative connotations have been attached to these terms by the activists themselves. Some animal rights activists have gone so far as to reject the word pet and insist on its replacement by animal companion. Leftist anthropologists go to great lengths to avoid saying anything about primitive peoples that can conceivably be interpreted as negative. They want to re replace the word primitive by non-literate. They, they may seem almost paranoid about anything that might suggest that any primitive culture is inferior to ours. We do mean to imply that primitive cultures are inferior to ours. We merely point out the hypersensitivity of leftist anthropologists. And, and this, the day after Indigenous Peoples Day. Oh, Ted, what is you doing? <laughs> it's so amazing because it's like um i made sure to post a few memes yesterday of you know human sacrifice <laughs> yeah you know associated or violence associated with the with warring tribes that were you know right here yeah i just um if you think about the vocabulary the woke vocabulary in 1995 or you know, the early 90s, late 80s when he was around and like, you know, doing his thing. Uh, even those words are taboo descriptors now. It's, I mean, once again, he called it. Oh, yeah. All right. Where we go here. Okay. Those who are most sensitive about politically incorrect terminology are not the average black ghetto dweller, Asian immigrant abused woman, or disabled person, but a minority of activists, many of whom do not even belong to any oppressed group but come from privileged strata of society. Political correctness has its stronghold among university professors who have secure employment with, com with comfortable salaries, and the majority of whom are heterosexual white males with middle to upper mid 
with middle to upper middle class families. I'm. I mean, this was um maybe maybe because like he didn't have the internet he 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 wasn't over socialized like us, um, I think he didn't see that uh, material wealth um, is no longer the the apex of um, a description of power now 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 it's become um, you know the serotonin drip of social media influence and likes and retweets and all that which he I mean he, he couldn't have predicted that but uh I think e- even in the mid 90s when this was published he probably I mean you had some things like that you know guest spots and speaking tours and all that um influence was definitely a currency um non-material back in his day well in the the system's neatest trick um which is early 2000s to mid 2000s he actually describes and pre- and predicts antifa the modern day version that call themselves antifa who if you compare them to antifa from 20s italy you're just like I mean, Antifa from 20s Italy was like Republicans and plumbers and union workers and former vet and vets of, of the First World War. You know, it, it's like, what do you have now? A bunch of drug addicts and friggin' degenerates, you know? Just <laughs> All right, so let's keep going. Many leftists have an intense identification with the problems of groups that have an image of being weak women, defeated American Indians, repellent homosexuals, or otherwise inferior. The leftists themselves feel these groups are inferior. They would never admit to themselves that they have such feelings, but it's precisely because they do see these groups as inferior that they identify with their problems. We do not mean to suggest that women, Indians, etc., are inferior. We are only making a point about I leftist do. psychology. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, this is one of those things that um, you read it and you're like, immediately um what is it the bigotry of low of um low expectations yeah and that's exactly and we've been saying that about the left but it's gotten to the point where when you point out how hypocritical the left is now you just sound like a conservative yeah you sound like Dinesh D'Souza who probably plagiarized that exact section you just read (laughs) (laughs) all right let me let's keep going on this Feminists are desperately anxious to prove that women are as strong and capable as men. Clearly, they are nagged by a fear that women may not be as strong and as capable as men. Leftists tend to hate anything that has an image of being strong, good, and successful. They hate America. They hate Western civilization. They hate white males. They hate rationality. The reasons that leftists give for hating the West, etc., clearly do not correspond with their real motives. They say they hate the West because it's warlike, imperialistic, sexist, ethnocentric, and so forth. But where these same faults appear in socialist countries or in primitive cultures, the leftists find excuses for them, or at best he begrudgingly admits that they exist, whereas he enthusiastically points out, and often greatly exaggerates, these faults where they appear in Western civilization. Thus, it is clear that these faults are not the leftist real motive for hating America and the West. He hates America and the West because they are strong and successful. Yeah, this is the stone toss comic of like, cool, when you leaving? Cool, when you leaving? Cool, when you leaving? 
Yeah, it's um, I mean, a lot of this is and what's funny is you mentioned Dinesh D'Souza, and this totally is like the um the tombstone comic of Here Lies Conservatism. Um what is it? I have it on my phone. I'll look it up real quick. Here lies conservatism. Wow, imagine if the situation was reversed. Yeah. 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 It's just that total thing yeah. of just um you're just you're just like well they oh my god they're they're such hypocrites it's like yeah they know they're hypocrites they don't care yeah that's also why they're in that's also why they're in power by the way because they don't care. yes <laughs> yeah i mean if we just stick to our principles maybe we can change that oh i i think i think the non-aggression principle is going to take us right to um right to utopia perfect it'd be perfect Give me one second. Checks in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> Words like self-confidence, self-reliance, initiative, enterprise, optimism, etc., play little role in the liberal and leftist vocabulary. The leftist is anti-individualistic, pro-collectivist. He wants society to solve everyone's problems for them, satisfy everyone's need for them, take care of them. He is not the sort of person who has an inner sense of confidence in his ability to solve his problems and satisfy his own needs. The leftist is antagonistic to the concept of competition because deep inside he feels like a loser. I think right. of, um, I know that Rothbard talked about this, but I think Mises, he got it from Mises where, where um, he talked about how the intellectuals in society always have to go to the state, have to get a job with the state because they, they have no, there's no, they have no um, worth in the free market. Yeah. I mean, what is, yeah. I mean, what, I mean, the, we know some economists that can actually make money, <laughs> but yeah. most economists, what do they have to do? They have to get a job with the New York times. They have to get a job with the government. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. The economists we know, like e- being an economist is like their second job, or at least yeah. was at one point until they could make a living, you know, do, doing their thing. Yeah, they became entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And, but they're also economists. And when you historically, I mean, even, and I'm not saying anything bad about Mises, but, you know, Mises worked for the Austrian government. He worked oh, yeah. for the Chamber of Commerce at one point, too. So yeah. the question you have to ask is if Mises suddenly lost his government post, uh, would he be in the streets starving? Probably not. No. Um, I mean, the, it, the guy fought in World War One. Yeah. He's <laughs> was a tough guy. <laughs> yeah. If uh, Paul Krugman lost his post at, you know, as a New York Times editor and all the various consulting things he does for the government, uh, indirectly or directly, uh, he'd probably be homeless. Oh, but he, he'd have lost his gag reflex by now. All right, so where do we go here? Da, 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 da. Where are we at? Okay, art forms art forms that appeal to modern leftish intellectuals tend to focus on sordidness, defeat, and despair, or else they take an orgiastic tone, throwing off rational control as if there were no hope of accomplishing anything through rational calculation, and all that was left was to immerse oneself in the sensations of the movement. Call them degenerates without calling them degenerates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's that. That pretty much describes their activism today. And it, and to be honest, it describes a lot of people's activism. It's uh, it's like this: you you want to create 
a temporal space amongst people you agree with to feel that euphoric sense of unity. And that's that's not activism. That's just like a pride parade or pork fest. <laughs> yeah, you see it in um, Beltway libertarianism and the woke progressive libertarians when they're celebrating sex work, they're celebrating drug use, they're celebrating any kind of degeneracy. I mean, and the kind of degeneracy that, that grows the state, of course. This 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 type of shit is the same as, as what I talked about, the serotonin drip of of social media, um, social media validation, except this is in real life. Yeah. JJ Boogie, Technological Slavery, Volume One. It has almost every, it has everything in there except his latest book. Huh. Add, add to my fucking mountainous reading list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going here. Uh, ba -ba -ba. All right. Modern leftish, God, that's a hard word to, for me to say. Leftish philosophers tend to dismiss reason, science, objective reality, and to insist that everything is culturally relative. It is true that one can ask serious questions about the foundations of scientific knowledge and about how, if at all, the concept of objective reality can be defined. But it is obvious that modern leftish philosophers are not simply cool-headed logicians systematically analyzing the foundations of knowledge. They are deeply involved emotionally in their attack on truth and reality. They attack these concepts because of their own psychological needs. For one thing, their attack is an outlet for hostility, and to the extent that it is successful, it satisfies the drive for power. More importantly, the leftists hate science and rationality because they classify certain beliefs as true, i.e., uh, successful, superior, and other beliefs as false, i.e. failed, inferior. The leftist's feelings of inferiority run so deep that he cannot tolerate any classification of some things as successful or superior and other things as failed or inferior. This also underlies the rejection by many leftists of the concept of mental illness and of the utility of IQ tests. Leftists are antagonistic to generic explanations of human abilities or behavior because such explanations tend to make some people appear superior or inferior to others. Leftists prefer to give society the credit or blame for an individual's ability or lack of it. Thus, if a person is inferior, it is not his fault, but society's because he was not brought up properly. Man, we could spend a while on that, on that paragraph. <laughs> Yeah. Um, again, I have to criticize uh, Jordan Peterson for plagiarizing Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> exactly. I mean, seriously, seriously. Um, some things in there. Um, oh, I mean, call out the postmodernists without naming them. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> what I was getting at. Like, you know, he was Jordan Peterson yeah, yeah, telling yeah. you to clean your room before Jordan Peterson was around. Yeah. And then um, the whole thing about um, the, the question of, um, are some people better than others? Yeah. You know, how, you know, how they say, um, someone on the right, um, will give you, will give you a yes. Someone on the left will give you a speech. Yeah. And this, the whole thing about, um, 
them being antistic to, uh, antagonistic to genetic explanations and IQ tests. I mean, just just mention Charles Murray yeah. <laughs> to, to a leftist. <laughs> mention Charles Murray to a libertarian, to the yeah. average libertarian, which just oh, goes to well. Prove- now you're now you're a race realist, so yeah. <laughs> automatically you're discarded. <laughs> which just goes to prove just exactly how much leftism has just completely infiltrated libertarianism. I was talking about that with um, Charlemagne, uh, Charles, and I was saying that all they have to do is all you um, all you have to do is start talking about questioning the nap, and the average libertarian, even a Rothbardian, will be fascist, and it's like, well, wait a minute, who do you sound like right now? That's, I mean, it's to be expected, and I luckily I think. Uh, at least from my own aesthetic preferences, I think the problem's being taken care of. What that results in? Well, I don't know. <laughs> let's let's read somebody that actually did something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Ted did. This, yeah, this, this guy had. <laughs> he did more than any libertarian I know. <laughs> this guy had voting by mail down pat. Um, the leftist is not typically the kind of person whose feelings of inferiority make him a braggart an egotist, a bully, a self-promoter, a ruthless competitor. This kind of person has not wholly lost faith in himself. He has a deficit in his sense of power and self-worth, but he can still convince, he can still conceive of himself as having the capacity to be strong and his efforts to make himself strong produce his unpleasant behavior. But the leftist is too far gone for that. His feelings of inferiority are so ingrained that he cannot conceive of himself as individually strong and valuable, hence the collectivism of leftism. He can feel strong only as a member of an organization or a mass movement which with, with which he identifies himself. That is some poetry right there, man. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's Twitter activism in a nutshell. And again, I, I, my only criticism would be that he limits it to leftists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like you said, and I, I figured this out a while back was uh, that he, because he would associate people who would care about nature and care about the environment um, with people on the left, the fact that they weren't willing to do the things that needed to be done that, you know, yeah. obviously, yeah, obviously hated them and uh, would go after them first. I mean, he hardly... And we might get to the part where he he goes after the the right a little bit, but I mean it is a short little section when he goes after the right. He, he still he still knocks the ball out of the park though. So, all right, let's finish this up here. Um, notice the masochistic tendency of leftist tactics. Tactics. Leftists protest by laying down in front of vehicles. They intentionally provoke police or racists to abuse them. These tactics may often be effective, but many leftists use them as a means to an end, but because they prefer masochistic tactics. Self-hatred is a leftist trait. Well, there's one thing that he, um, I guess when it came to the system's neatest trick, he finally realized that it was going to get to the point where they were going to start using violence because he starts talking about how the state will actually find a way or forces will find a way to turn these people violent, turn the left violent. Yeah. Because this really isn't the left anymore. I mean, if anything, this seems to be the right. Yeah. I mean, take it while they're, while their cities are being burnt down. Yeah. 
uh, the the so-called leftists that are, you know, committing the most violent acts. Um, think like, you know, all the protests in 2015. You know, the Patriot uh, Patriot Prayer marches versus Antifa. I mean, those are just center right neoliberals. They're, I mean, they they just had a protest the other day because, uh, you know, oh no, it was at the Boston Marathon the other day that a group showed up to protest a Arizona senator that was going to run in it because she's delaying Biden's spending bill, and the, they they identify as a leftist protest group. <sighs> like. How dare you not give more money to pharmaceutical corporations in the military industrial complex? I know they wouldn't word it like that, but a real, uh, an actual communist per, per se would, uh, would find, you know, some other vocabulary words to label that as uh, not real leftism. All right. This is the part where I tell you how you can support the show and support my work. If you go on over to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash support you can see all the places where you can donate to the show and you can also see some cryptocurrency addresses down at the bottom if you're enjoying the show and you want to support head on over to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash support and help me out thank you all right let's finish up this section Leftists may claim that their activism is motivated by compassion or by moral principles, or moral principle does play a role for the leftists of the over-socialized type, but compassion and moral principle cannot be the main motives for leftist activism. Hostility is too prominent a component of leftist behavior, so as to drive for power. Moreover, much leftist behavior is not rationally calculated to be of benefit to the people whom the leftists claim to be trying to help. For example, if one believes that affirmative action is good for black people, does it make sense to demand affirmative action in hostile or dogmatic terms? Um, Obviously, it would be more productive to take a diplomatic conciliatory approach that would make at least verbal and symbolic concessions to white people who think the affirmative action discriminates against them. But leftist activists do not not take such an approach because it would not satisfy their emotional needs. Helping black people is not their real goal. Instead, race problems serve as an excuse for them to express their own hostility and frustrated need for power. In doing so, they actually harm black people because the activist's hostile attitude towards the white majority tends to intensify race hatred. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I've, I've never hated white people more. <laughs> <laughs> that they didn't fight back against this. If our society had no social problems at all, the leftists would have to invent problems in order to provide themselves with an excuse for making a fuss. I'm, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's that's what they do. It's, it's, <laughs> an inher- it's like a genetic trait where they need to be activists or I don't know what happens to them. They maybe they off themselves. If we lived in, you know, a utopia and they just couldn't find a way to make a problem to perform activism about, to have performative activism, uh, they'd probably kill themselves. It, yeah. It's like an inherent genetic trait. And I think that's what Ted's getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why I don't think we can have peaceful secession. <laughs> but that's for another episode. 
Andrew, Popular Liberty says, white people are why I started calling myself Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Finishing up this section, he says, we emphasize that the foregoing does not pretend to be an accurate description of everyone who might be considered a leftist. It is only a rough indication of a general tendency of leftism. Now, this concept of over-socialization is like one of the things that gets most talked about when it comes to this paper right here. I mean, it is the uh, it is the one thing that I think Ted really like nails and pe- people had nailed it before him, but I don't think like he does. I mean, he's yeah. Psychologists use the term socialization to designate the process by which children are trained to think and act as society demands. The person is said to be well socialized if he believes in and obeys the moral code of his society and fits in well as a functioning part of that society. It may seem senseless to say that many leftists are over socialized since the leftist is perceived as a rebel. Nevertheless, the position can be defended. Many leftists are not such rebels as they seem. The moral code of our society is so demanding that no one can think, feel, and act in a completely moral way. There's a sentence for you. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> like, uh, you know, talking about the free market. Like, what free market? You know, even even the black market, an agorist might say, like, well, the black market is the closest thing we have to a free market. But, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's what I mean, what what Ted's talking about is industrialization has pervaded every aspect of every action you take. Yeah. So I'm going to read that again so it can lead into the next sentence. The moral code of our society is so demanding that no one can think, feel, and act in a completely moral way. For example, we are not supposed to hate anyone, yet almost everyone hates somebody at some time or other, whether he admits it to himself or not. Some people are so highly socialized that the attempt to think, feel, and act morally imposes a severe burden on them. In order to avoid feelings of guilt, they continually have to deceive themselves about their own motives and find moral explanations for feelings and actions that in reality have a non-moral origin. We use the term over-socialized to describe such people. You get Hmm. what he's getting at there? Yeah. I mean, I do. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the first thing that pops into my mind is the entire foundation of the abortion argument, like a woman's right to choose seems like a moral argument, but when you look at the foundation, uh, it, you're usually getting an abortion because of promiscuous sex nine times out of 10 and you're subsidizing the consequences. And also, you know, what, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, you, you might be killing somebody. You might not be. Andrew Popular Liberty just said, he just nailed my thesis about making rules that people can't follow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is where it starts getting deep. Over-socialization can lead to low self-esteem, a sense of powerlessness, defeatism, guilt, etc. One of the most important means by which our society socializes children is by making them feel ashamed of behavior or speech that is contrary to society's expectations. If this is overdone, or if a particular child is especially susceptible to such feelings, he ends by feeling ashamed of himself. Moreover, the thought and the behavior of the over-socialized person are more restricted by society's expectations than are those of the lightly socialized person. The majority of people engage in a significant amount of naughty behavior. 
They lie. They commit petty thefts. They break traffic laws. They goof off at work. They hate someone. They say spiteful things, or they use some underhanded trick to get ahead of the other guy. The over-socialized person cannot do these things, or if he does do them, he generates in himself a sense of shame and self-hatred. The over-socialized person cannot even experience without guilt thought or feelings that are contrary to the accepted morality. He cannot think unclean thoughts. And socialization is not just a matter of morality. We are socialized to conform to many norms of behavior that do not fall under the heading of morality. Thus, the over-socialized person is kept on a psychological leash and spends his life running on rails that society has laid down for him. In many over-socialized people, this results in a sense of constraint and powerlessness that can be a severe hardship. We suggest that over-socialization is among the more serious cruelties that human beings inflict upon one another. All I could think of that entire time was... uh you know, stamping out toxic masculinity. And that starts in elementary school. <laughs> and then well, I mean, there, there are so many things to think about there. I mean, it is, um, think about what he was talking about leftist before. He's saying that they can't even conceive of thinking that one person could be better than another person just because they exist, because of how they were born, because of anything. It's just, it really, it's a dagger, it's a dagger pointed right at the activist, the egalitarian. Yeah. The the egalitarian. Yeah. So Andrew just said, you're not a, you're not a real libertarian. If you haven't read this, like he's quoting me saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. All right. Let's see. Let's see what we got here. Um, We argue that a very important and influential segment of the modern left is over-socialized and that their over-socialization is of great importance in determining the direction of modern leftism. Leftists of the over-socialized type tend to be intellectuals or members of the upper middle class. Notice the university intellectuals constitute the most highly socialized segment of our society and also the most left-wing segment. They are basically over-socialized people, you know, from what he's saying, is they're the ones that are, they want to follow whatever the government is. The, the over-socialized people are the COVID idiots. I mean, you're, th- there is not somebody who has bought into that religion that is not over-socialized. They're definitely the, the first group of people that I think about like just repeating platitudes and the inability to believe that um, that they're wrong or that any criticism is valid um, and that and that somehow their actions are in any way egalitarian. They, they think that they're the moral majority um, and are incapable of diving into that. It's like uh, I, at first I thought, you know, this is somebody like with their pronouns in their bio. Like you could, you like, or whatever, any of those tropes, like those, those tropes that comprise modern leftism now, um, just, you know, NPC is a, is a perfect term. Mm. Absolutely. All right. I got a super chat here that I'm going to read from the dude guy, three, four, five. 
1996, my seventh grade history class did a two-month-long mock constitutional convention in which we played all delegates. I got detention for asking who gave them the authority to decide for all. <laughs> Same year we learned of Uncle Ted. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's based as fuck. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. The leftist of the over-socialized type tries to get off his psychological leash and assert his autonomy by rebelling, but usually he is not strong enough to rebel against the most basic values of society. Generally speaking, the goals of today's leftists are not in conflict with the accepted morality. On the contrary, the left takes an accepted moral principle, adopts it as its own, and then accuses mainstream society of violating the principle. Examples Racial equality, equality of the sexes, helping poor people, peace as opposed to war, nonviolence generally, freedom of expression, kindness to animals. More fundamentally, the duty of the individual to serve society and the duty of society to take care of the individual. All these have been deeply rooted values of our society, or at least of its middle and upper classes for a long time. These values are explicitly or implicitly expressed or presupposed in most of the material presented to us by the mainstream communications media and the educational system. Leftists, especially those of the over-socialized type, usually do not rebel against these principles, but justify their hostility to society by claiming, with some degree of truth, that society is not living up to these principles. I read that, yeah. and you know, what the first thing that comes to mind is I'm against slavery. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that, that's exactly what it is. It's like, I'm against slavery. You know, you, you start like somebody starts talking about the South and how oh, they should have just let them secede and everything like that. Well, I'm against slavery. Okay. Great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that's that's st the stunningest and bravest. Yes. Uh, that, that you can come up with today. But it's true. They they latch on to something that society already deems is, you know, untenable, like racism. It, it the whole racism thing, it's like the people people on the right, conservatives, especially before Trump, I mean, if you would have accused them of racism, they would have just been like, I'm not racist. I mean, they would have went into this litany of just, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe Trump has woken up a couple of people to like the fact that they do this. And now they're just like, sure, I don't care. Call me a racist. I don't give a fuck what you say. But they would defend themselves to the end. It was or the Covington Catholic kids. Think about that. Remember, someone had said, said, um, said something about you're gay and, and they go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and they start defending it and everything. And it's just like, well, there it is right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. Continue on. My mind is going in so many directions right now. Yeah. Fubadu here says, my mother's an elementary school teacher, and I cringe every time she recounts a tale of scolding boys for running around in roughhousing during recess, as though boys aren't supposed to do that. So half, let's say, like, generously, half of those kids that she scolds and she says, that's bad because... Half of those kids are going to internalize that as they grow up. And then they'll become the people with pronouns in their bios. They'll become the trans rights activists and the, the hashtag BLM uh, bumper sticker. Uh, like, that's, that's what Ted's talking about. And it fucking works. I mean, uh, part of me wants to believe that this is a Marxist-Leninist coup that's just taking into account the conditions to bring about communism in America and 
the, the best condition you can have is racism. Uh, use that to, you know, change the material conditions and, you know, model structure your class warfare after. And then the other half is just like, no, this is just a bunch of like corporations fucking making billions of dollars commoditizing racism. Could go either way. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he has to pr- pr- provide an example. Here's an illustration of the way in which the over-socialized leftist shows his real attachment to the conventional attitudes of our society while pretending to be in rebellion against it. Many leftists push for affirmative action, for moving black people into high prestige jobs, for improved education in black schools, and more money for such schools. The way of life of the black underclass they regard as a social disgrace. They want to integrate the black man into the system, make him a business executive, a lawyer, a scientist, just like upper middle class white people. The leftists will reply that the last thing they want to make is the black black man into a copy of the white man. Instead, they want to preserve African-American culture. But in what way does the preservation of African-American culture consist? It can hardly consist in anything more than eating black style food, listening to black style music, wearing black style clothing and going to a black style church or mosque. In other words, it can express itself only in superficial manners. Yes. Commoditization. Yeah. In all essential respects, many leftists of the over-socialized type want to make the black man conform to white middle-class ideals. They want to make him study technical subjects become an executive or a scientist, spend his life climbing the status ladder to prove that black people are as good as white. They want to make black fathers responsible. They want, they want black ga- gangs to become nonviolent, et cetera. But these are exactly the values of the industrial technological system. The system couldn't care less what kind of music a man listens to, what kind of clothes he wears, what religion he believes in, as long as he studies in school, holds a respectable job, climbs the status ladder, is a responsible parent, is nonviolent, and so forth. In effect, however much he may deny it, the over-socialized leftist wants to integrate the black man into the system and make him adopt its values. I, I identify with this more. Uh, a perfect example is the gay rights movement. Um, you know, the you look at like uh, Stonewall or any any gay community uh, when it was starting out, it was unapologetically against the status quo. It did not want inclusivity; it wanted liberation. And um, they by when they when they tacked that T onto LGBT, they literally neutered gay people. They they gave them an out to be rebellious, but the goal was to get the vast majority of them to be integrated into being a good model American citizen. And everybody's favorite, uh, everybody's favorite adult sex advocate, Thaddeus Russell, uh, not Thaddeus, I'm sorry, not Thaddeus Russell. Um, no, is it? Uh, his, his book. Um, Renegade on, History uh, of the United States. Yeah, Renegade History of the United States. Yeah. Um, he that's that's something i took with me from that book is you know the the way you get rid of renegades is by convincing them to be good model american citizens and then you essentially neuter them <laughs> my buddy mark metz who just appeared on uh an episode of my show with adam patrick recently goes came in and heard black man was the first thing i came in and black man was the first thing i heard knew i was on the right stream yep um <laughs> welcome welcome well, and he also talks in that book about how Jews used to dominate basketball. They used to be music. They used to dominate um, 
the music scene. That's crazy and, to think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not even, not even, not as like the the club owners, although they were the club owners, but as the musicians and as the basketball players and the owners of the basketball team, um, and their own community made a decision to get them away from those, to push them away from those occupations so that they could become more respectable. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's just wild stuff to think about. It's like, it's wild stuff to think that Jews dominated basketball. Yeah. And, and now, boxing. Uh, and boxing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they were the most hated group in the country, uh, arguably, um, for for a while in the 20th century, late, late 19th. And, uh, you know, that when that kind of upbringing, you know, you get tough or you die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go here. Um, we certainly did not claim that leftists, even of the over-socialized type, never rebel against the fundamental values of our society. Clearly, they sometimes do. Some over-socialized leftists have gone so far as to rebel against one of the modern society's most important principles by engaging in physical violence. By their own account, violence is for them a form of liberation. In other words, by committing violence, they break through the psychological re restraints that have, they have been that have been trained into them. Because they are over-socialized, these restraints have become more confining for them than for others, hence their need to break free of them. But they usually justify their rebellion in terms of mainstream values. If they engage in violence, they claim to be fighting against racism or the like. So it's not like yeah, you know, this is this is right up your alley. Why don't you you want to comment on that? Uh yeah. I mean, when they do engage in violence, it 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 does seem sort of like a pressure, like a pressure relief valve gets released. And I'm talking about like real leftists, I guess. Um, you know, you look at like uh, what is it, the Not Fucking Around Coalition? Yeah. Um, you know. They they've been in like a couple violent altercations and like I don't think the pressure valve was re relieved as much as it should have been but boy I can't wait till it is. <laughs> All right, let's finish this up. We realized that many objections could be raised to the foregoing thumbnail sketch of leftist psychology. The real situation is complex, and anything like a complete description of it would take several volumes, even if the necessary data were available. We claim only to have indicated very roughly the two most important tendencies in the psychology of modern leftism. The problems of the leftists are indicative of the problems of our society as a whole. Low self-esteem, depressive tendencies, and defeatism are not restricted to the left. Though they are especially notable, noticeable in the left, they are widespread in our society, and today's society tries to socialize us to a greater extent than any previous society. We are even told by experts how to eat, how to exercise, how to make love, how to raise our kids, and so forth. Want to go? keep going? Veneration of the expert class? Huh. <laughs> I, I, I can't I can't find anything to relate. <laughs> Let's keep going a little bit if you got time. All right. The power process. Human beings have a need, probably based in biology, for something that we call the power process. This is closely related to the need for power, which is widely recognized, but is not quite the same thing. The power process has four elements. The three most clear cut of these we call goal effort, and attainment of goal. 
Everyone needs to have goals whose attainment requires effort and needs to succeed in attaining at least some of his goals. The fourth element is more difficult to define and may be necessary and may not be necessary for everyone. We call it autonomy and we'll discuss it later. Consider the hypothetical case of a man who can have anything he wants just by wishing for it. Such a man has power, but he will develop serious psychological problems. At first, he will have a lot of fun, but by and by, he will become acutely bored and demoralized. Eventually, he may become clinically depressed. History shows that leisured aristocracies tend to become decadent. This is not true of fighting aristocracies that have to struggle to maintain their power, but leisured, secure aristocracies that have no need to exert themselves usually become bored, hedonistic, and demoralized, even though they have power. This shows that power is not enough. One must have goals towards which to exercise one's power. Oh, yeah. And uh, Paz can get into this a lot more eloquently than I can as far as, you know, what exactly did the aristocracy of, I mean, even today, like, what do they do behind closed doors and out of boredom pretty much? But yeah, I mean, you, you can even look at the upper middle class now. Um, you know, material conditions are so good, you know, may, maybe not for too much longer, given given the news, but, um, you know, they've been so good that I, I think a good portion of like the the degeneracy that we see is really just out of boredom. It's like, you know, I, I have nothing to do. I'm going to experiment with, you know, cross-dressing and, you know, getting pegged by my girlfriend or whatever. Not me. I would never do that. No, not at all. So Never. she's the one. She's the one who takes the blue chew. Um, yeah. yeah you, you also think. You also think about um, like Trump Plaza. Everything you know, plated gold, gold. Yeah. Everything. I mean, it's just yeah. And people and libertarian. Once again, libertarians will jump all over you for that and be like, "Well, that's just capitalism." And it's a free market, bro. Yeah, it's a free market, bro. It's it's not. I mean, it's to me when I see something like that. I immediately think that that person, there's something wrong with that person. There's it, something missing. They're a symptom. Yeah. They, you look at them like a symptom, like, like a symptom of a larger uh, disease. And you don't really know what stage that disease is in, but you, you can see the symptoms. And you don't really know what the treatment is, although Ted did. Um, <laughs> he, he had a treatment. But um, yeah, and... You know, mainline libertarians, they don't see it that way. They see that as a sign of a, you know, a healthy market and in like capitalist innovation. And, uh, you know, one one thing I do have to agree with left, I, I agree more with leftists about is, uh, you know, that that decadence that we see right now, although they, they wouldn't put it like that, uh, that, I mean, it's literally bourgeois decadence. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they're... While leftism is infiltrating all these institutions, bourgeois decadence is infiltrating leftism. And that's, you know, that's been going on forever. Well said. Well put. Everyone has goals, if nothing else, to obtain the physical necessities of life. Food, water, and whatever clothing and shelter are made necessary by the climate. But the leisured aristocrat obtains these things without effort. Hence his boredom and demoralization. 
Non-attainment of important goals results in death if the goals are physical necessities and in frustration if non-attainment of the goals is compatible with survival. Consistent failure to attain goals throughout life is defeatism, low self-esteem, or depression. Thus, in order to avoid serious psychological problems, a human being needs goals whose attainment require effort, and he must have a reasonable rate of success in attaining those goals. What's your opinion on that? Um, that sounds like the Protestant work ethic. You know, everything that's worth it is worth it because of the amount of effort you exert. Yeah, I didn't immediately go to the Protestant work ethic, which I think is a total ton of garbage because you can. That's you, my entire identity. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can do very well in life without having to break your back. And I mean, that's almost what the Protestant work ethic, you know, really yeah. points at, you know, yeah, working 20 hours. Virtue and physical struggle to make ends meet. And Yeah. And I mean, I just, I don't go with that, but I also do understand what, what he means by if, if everything, well, I mean, think about it. When can you hear people, me? Yeah, I can hear you. My beast just died. Oh, uh, okay. If, it, um. Is the audio quality terrible? Uh, it's not terrible, but it's not as good as it was. But um, back off. If you back off a little bit, I think it'll be better. So um, you don't have to back off that much. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, I mean, think about like, I knew people who've, I've known very wealthy people who didn't have to work. And a lot of them are alcoholics, drug addicts. And I mean, they just, they look for something else to fill what was there once, or maybe not even what, what wasn't even there once, depending on, um, you know, on how they were raised. But yeah, I mean, a lot of times they, they just, there's an emptiness that comes with being able to do anything and have anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you can, you can read any celebrity, uh, you know, like E online news or whatever, any tabloid, um, and see like, you know, what I, th I think it's a mix of like, you know, th them literally being fucked as kids and them also attaining so much success. And like Ted said, not having to not having to exert much effort to get everything they've ever wanted. And then you yeah. see them, you know, crash and burn. Yeah. yeah or become or become leaders in a fucking sex cult. <laughs> Well, and, and that's another thing is that if they're put into a culture of decadence, which is what entertainment, you know, you, you mentioned entertainment, entertainment is a, a culture of decadence. I mean, that's what they're going to tend to fall right into. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. Let us see. Okay, so surrogate activities. And we'll finish up here soon because, I mean, we could keep going for a while, but... um. But not every leisured aristocrat becomes bored and demoralized. For example, the Emperor Hirohito, instead of sinking into decadent hedonism, devoted himself to marine biology, a field in which he became distinguished. When people do not have to exert themselves to satisfy their physical needs, they often set up artificial goals for themselves. In many cases, they then pursue these goals with the same energy and emotional involvement that they otherwise would have put into a search for physical necessities. Thus, the aristocrats of the Roman Empire had their literary pretensions 
Many European aristocrats a few centuries ago invested tremendous time and energy in hunting, though they certainly didn't need the meat. Other aristocracies have competed for status through elaborate displays of wealth, displays of wealth, and a few aristocrats like Hirohito have turned to science. We use the term surrogate activity to designate an activity that is directed toward an artificial goal that people set up for themselves merely in order to have some goal to work toward, or let us say, merely for the sake of the fulfillment that they get from pursuing the goal. Here is a rule of thumb for the identification of surrogate activities. Given a person who devotes much time and energy to the pursuit of goal X, Ask yourself, if he had to devote most of his time and energy to satisfying his biological needs, and if that effort required him to use his physical and mental facilities in a varied and interesting way, would he feel seriously deprived because he did not attain goal X? If the answer is no, then the person's pursuit of goal X is a surrogate activity. Hirohito's study in marine biology clearly constituted a surrogate activity, since it is pretty certain that if Hirohito had had to spend time working at interesting non-scientific tasks in order to obtain the necessities of life, he would not have felt deprived because he didn't know all about the anatomy and life life cycles of marine biology, of marine animals. On the other hand, the pursuit of sex and love, for example, is not a surrogate activity because most people, even in their, if their existence were otherwise satisfactory, would feel deprived as they passed their lives without ever having a relationship with a member of the opposite sex but pursuit of an excessive amount of sex more than one really needs can be a modern surrogate activity. What do you think? What's going on with this? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there are, I can't think of any like concrete examples of, you know, some celebrity or CEO. I I guess like, you know, maybe Elon Musk, his entire existence is a surrogate activity. Um, at this point, he's the richest man in the world. Jeff Bezos, whatever the hell he does, his his journey to space and, you know, the push for commercial space flight and all that, um, you know, that I guess you'd call them vanity projects now. But I'm sure there is some level of uh, personal satisfaction they're pursuing that if they were to fail at that effort, it probably wouldn't really affect them that much. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's some it's something that if I were to get my my Twitter timeline out right now and just scroll through the news, I could probably, you know, take all of Ted's criteria and say this, 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 and this relatively easily. Uh, Brandon Hiles makes a good point right here. Bill Gates, extreme surrogate activity. He yeah. just became obsessed with with um, vaccines and vaccinating the planet and making sure the population. Uh, never mind. Maybe he has a biological need to exterminate half the world's population. (laughs) Maybe he does. But when you look at this, it's true, though. I mean, what did Hirohito really accomplish by becoming an expert on marine? Literally just personal satisfaction. Uh, And but was it? See, that's the thing. The question is, is it? Is it something where you're like, okay, I put all these years into doing this and now I'm an expert at this. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it was just a, a, a vanity project. Maybe. I mean, also you, with Hirohito, you're getting into like cultural components and you know, the yeah. Japanese are just built different, especially back in the day. 
So, eh, I don't know. He's, he's a tough one. I mean, and I think that even the poor and the working class have surrogate activities. Oh, yeah, yeah. video games. I, video games. Oh, sports. Yep. Why, why, watching sports, professional sports. I mean, yeah. yeah. Guilty. Guilty. I mean, I don't watch sports anymore just because I really don't have time. But, I mean, there was a time that I was I, – I knew – the standings of my teams, you know, where they were. Yeah. I think so. I cared about the, the Red Sox Yankee rivalry, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> now it's like, I don't even, <laughs> I heard they played, they played in the playoffs and the Red Sox won. And I was like, Oh, I hate the Red Sox, but um, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. I, and you know, I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. So it's something I probably should have been paying attention to just so I have something to talk to people about, but I really haven't. And I don't think a whole lot of people have either. Uh, that's that particular surrogate activity for for us po folk. Um, it's kind of gone by the wayside. All right, let's um, let's finish up here. Let read a couple more lines, and then we'll get out of here. And then we'll remember where we were, and come back and uh, hit this again in the future. This is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- this is over 300 pages. I think we knew we weren't going to get through it today. <laughs> It'll be a seven part series. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, in modern industrial society, only minimal effort is necessary to satisfy one's physical needs. It is enough to go through a training program to acquire some petty technical skill, then come back to work on time and exert the very modest effort needed to hold a job. The only requirements are a moderate amount of intelligence and most of all, simple obedience. If one has those, society takes care of one from cradle to the grave. In parentheses, yes, there is an underclass that cannot take the physical necessities for granted, but we are speaking here of mainstream society. Thus, it is not surprising that modern society is full of surrogate activities. These include scientific work, athletic achievement, humanitarian work, artistic and literary creation, climbing the corporate ladder, acquisition of money and material goods far beyond the point at which they cease to give any additional physical satisfaction. And social activism when it addresses issues that are not important to the activist personally, as in the case of white activists who work for the rights of non-white minorities. These are not always pure surrogate activities, since for many people, they may be motivated in part by needs other than the need to have some goal to pursue. Scientific work may be motivated in part by a drive for prestige, artistic creation by a need to express feelings militant social activism by hostility. But for most people who pursue them, these activities are in large part surrogate activities. For example, the majority of scientists will probably agree that the fulfillment they get from work is more important than the money and the prestige they earn. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad he put that uh, that qualifier in there that, you know, not all activism is a surrogate activity, just the activism that doesn't affect you in any way, shape or form doesn't affect your community in any way, shape or form. Um, You know, that's, that's a a sign of a decadent society. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. All right. We're going to finish up on this paragraph because what comes after it looks really juicy and um, we'll keep people begging for more. Yeah. All right. For many, if not most people, surrogate activities are less satisfying than the pursuit of real goals. That is goals that, people would want to attain even if their need for power process were already fulfilled. One indication of this is the fact that 
in many or most cases, people who are deeply involved in surrogate activities are never satisfied, never at rest. Thus, the moneymaker constantly strives for more and more wealth. The scientist no sooner solves one problem than he moves on to the next. The long-distance runner drives himself to run always farther and faster. Many people who pursue surrogate activities will say that they get far more fulfillment from these activities than they do from the mundane business of satisfying their biological needs. But that is because, that is because in our society, the effort needed to satisfy the biological needs has been reduced to triviality. More importantly, in our society, people do not satisfy their biological needs autonomously, but by functioning as parts of an immense social machine. In contrast, people generally have a great deal of autonomy in pursuing their surrogate activities. Yes. There's a lot there. That, that's, he, he broke down uh, left-wing communalism perfectly. Like that we, we live in the, goal, the end goal of left-wing communalism. Which is uh, which states that, you know, your your highest form of autonomy is when you're no longer shackled by material constraints for your necessities. That's when you are. That, that's that's individualism uh, to them. That's a, a left a left wing version of individualism is like, you know, you you're able to express your um, your self. What is it called? Uh, not self realization. But self-actualization, you're able to achieve self-actualization best when you are unconstrained from material constraints. And we're not quite unconstrained, but, um, you know, we're able to express our individual autonomy because, like Ted said, you know, I can go to the grocery store and get a meal, a ready-made meal that I can eat right now and have 100% of my nutritional needs fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. The thing I find amazing about this is um, it reminds me in chapter one of the German ideology by Karl Marx when he says, we're, we, in communism, we can get to the point where somebody can be a fisherman one day, an artist the next day, a musician the next day. And he he's not only like Ted is here, like talking about late stage capitalism, basically. He's also describing exactly what late state, what communism would be yeah. like. Post scarcity. Like, yeah, like what post scarcity <laughs> would be. And yeah. I've said that recently. I, I said that um, we could get to the point because man has really no purpose, unless man has a purpose. And I'm talking about like even a metaphysical purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get to the point of post scarcity where man will rebel against it. Because he has nothing else to rebel against. He has no purpose. He has nothing. There's nothing holding him. There's nothing keeping his feet to the ground. So he'll just be like, okay, I'm going to rebel against this. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you go to divine liturgy every Sunday. (laughs) I don't know what um, Marty White is saying here that um, Clayton is not impressed. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's somebody that I've previously muted from the channel or something like that who's just showing up in the comments. <laughs> not really uh not really interested, but um cool. Well, man, um thanks. And we left off at section 41. I think there's only like a thousand more to go. So right. <laughs> we'll but, get through um, it. Th- I think this is a great primer and I 
the thing I love about this the most is I never would have read it if it hadn't started off as polemical as it was against the left. Yeah. Um, I, I, I haven't read this in its entirety either. I've picked and chosen quotes from Kaczynski that I thought were relevant, which, and turns out it, his entire book is relevant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you read it and you're just like, it's not something that you can read in one sitting. I mean, it's not, it's not something that you can, you can't read large chunks of it in one sitting. You have to read parts of it and then put it down and think about it. Yeah. Because yep. I mean, he is way, he is way beyond like what, where most people were. And, you know, it's, and I've, I've gotten to the point where, um, and it's been a long time now where I just say, yeah, I read Ted Kaczynski and I like what Red, Ted Kaczynski has to say. And I'm not, and I'm not going, oh yeah. And he killed people and that's bad. I, I don't care about that anymore. It's just, it's just, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I want to thank uh, Fubadu for the $5 there. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, man, I appreciate you uh, coming on and doing this with me. We'll do it again, yeah. hopefully soon. Um, you want to do some plugs real quick and we'll get out of here. Yeah. You can find me uh, on Twitter. You know where I'm at. I'm the I'm the guy that's probably going to get nuked in the next ten or so days. I'm about to hit a thousand followers. That's usually when I hit that reset button, in a in a very entertaining way. Um, um, Timeline Earth it, Halloween special coming out at the end of the month. Be there for that. All eight hours. And that, that's that's <laughs> about it. Bird Bird doesn't want to hear that. Um, just answering Andrew from Popular Liberty's question. It was released in 1995, but he had, it looks like he had been writing it for years. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, all right, man. Appreciate you always. Yep. See you later. Yep. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I want to thank Aaron for coming back on the show. That's it. Be back in a few days with another episode. Take care. And bye.